Ladies and gentlemen, it's an official episode. I like the smell. All of a sudden, my olfactory sense. Oh, that is a good smell. What do you think the number one item cooked in a microwave is? She was duct taped to her seat, was she not? We could do a whole episode on things that are used for makeshift handcuffs. Women do not want to create progeny with people who wear cargo pants or cargo shorts. Kurt is now slapping his face. Okay, fellow listeners out there, it is that time again, the time of the week that we are most excited, and hopefully you are minimally excited, about listening to a new episode of Smart Drivel. Kurt, you played football for most of your life, including college. Before the games, did you guys like bang your helmets together to get fired up for the game? For sure. What do you think would be a good metaphorical helmet banging thing for you and I to do to kick off our episode? Auga, 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 For the record, I'm John Ellenthal, and he's Kurt Schneider, and we are proud to be your co-hosts for another episode of Smart Dribble. You ready to hear what we're going to talk about today, Kurt? Yes. I think we all know that there have been some pretty major life-changing inventions that have come out of an original military product. I mean, we all know about GPS, and we know about radar, and drones, and night vision, and jet engines, and the internet. So those are the major ones. But there are a lot of other things that are part of everyday life, perhaps not as significant as some of those things, but important everyday life that also came out of the military. So we're going to talk about some of the more surprising things. Now, in fine, smart, dribble tradition, most of our episodes are born out of a story one of us told in an earlier episode, and that is the case here as well. What is that story, Kurt? It's about how gin and tonics were invented to uh, as a remedy for malaria. Oh, no, it's not. We've talked about that ad nauseum. Ad nauseum. It's not how gin and tonics were invented to combat malaria, but in a similar ingestive fashion, it's about a conversation we had about M&Ms, peanut or chocolate. doesn't matter. I happen to like peanut better than chocolate because I think it has a little more gravitas because there's a little more protein involved. But anyway. Ladies and gentlemen, it's an official episode. Kurt has now mentioned gin and he has said the word gravitas. We have ourselves a bona fide. Judges, the judges agree. We got the thumbs up, Kurt. Please continue. Hit the button. We're legit. So we talked about how the military was a huge proponent in the invention of M&Ms because in World War II, fighting in Africa, they needed something as a treat and a pick-me-up for the soldiers in the hot African sun. And they needed something that wouldn't melt. So M&M Mars came up with the M&Ms, which were a hard shell around chocolate. So they would melt in your mouth, not in your hands, and not in the sun of Africa. And we have gotten the largesse from the military from this invention all these years later by being able to eat them. What do you think was more difficult for M&M Mars to come up with a way to create a candy that didn't melt like that? Or to come up with the slogan, which is an all-time classic, amazing Pantheon Hall of Fame, first ballot Hall of Fame slogan, melts in your mouth. 
but not in your hands. Which was harder? Well, the slogan, by the way, is wonderful because it's exactly true. It's based on fact. And we've also talked about this one, which was actually at the time considered a pioneer of advertising because it took two benefits, which is kind of like what Eminem Mars is melts in your mouth, not in your hands. Actually, it's one benefit. But this one, Miller Lite, less filling, tastes great. Two benefits. Classic. Well, the whole topic of the military originating solutions and products that ultimately have far broader appeal and use makes a lot of sense. You're familiar with the expression, of course, necessity is the mother of all invention. Yes? Yes. Yes. Affirmative. And that makes sense because if you're at war and the stakes are that high, that is some serious necessity going on. So if necessity is the mother, John, what's the father of invention? (laughs) Who is the father of all invention? I would think it's dumb luck because guess what? It kind of fits the fatherly way of doing things. You stumble into something. And I think a lot of inventions were stumbled onto. Well, that's exactly right. It is a crazy exploration process where you're working on something and it turns out to be not good for that something you're working on, but really good for something else. In fact, I have a story that will tie together that last comment about stumbling onto something with the chocolate from your M&M story, as well as its meltage factor. But before I do that, it was a bit of a teaser, Kurt. Before I do that, I'd like to tell you where the expression necessity is the mother of invention comes from. Do you know who originally said that? Uh, Nero, while he was fiddling. Close, close. It was actually Plato. Now, not Plato, which we're not going to talk about today, although we will talk about a cousin of Plato before the end of the episode. But Plato, in Plato's Republic, he said, our need will be the real creator. And over time, that was just formed and shaped into the more modern expression of that same thought. Necessity is the mother of all invention. But back to the promised story. And mothers are the biggest and best creators. So there you go. There's without question, biologically, emotionally, and in every other way I could possibly think of. We know about radar because... People, you know, armies were looking for ways to locate the enemy, especially when the enemy was incoming. So you had a bunch of engineers working on what ultimately became radar. But there was this engineer at Raytheon, which is a well-known military contractor, that was playing around with how radio waves bounced off certain objects to determine where the object was located. And one day he noticed that the chocolate bar in his pocket melted. Now, clearly, he was not had M&Ms in his pocket. Had he had M&Ms in his pocket? Uh, But the chocolate bar melted, and he realized that the microwaves were emitting enough heat that it could cook food. So he kept on experimenting with this, and he ultimately put his thing in a big metal box so the waves couldn't get out, and he created the first microwave oven. Not because the troops needed popcorn while on the battlefield, but what's amazing is the first microwave oven, Kurt, which was like in 1945, Raytheon files a patent on this, was actually six feet tall 
It weighed about 750 pounds and cost $5,000. So you need a pretty big and upscale kitchen to put a six-foot microwave into it, huh? I was going to say, it doesn't fit on the counter too well, does it? So the microwave has had a, a real love-hate relationship with cooks and people throughout its short existence, right? I mean, I remember, well, first of all, I remember uh, my, when we first had one way back in probably 1980 or 81, my grandfather, who lived in the same town, we had my mom put a post-it note on the microwave that said, no pop, because he had a pacemaker. And apparently the thought at the time was some of these waves would come out and zap the pacemaker or something. So he had to come and duck and make sure the thing wasn't on when he came in. Imagine how difficult that would have been if the microwave was the size of a refrigerator. You probably couldn't even walk through the kitchen. I remember microwavable cookbooks were spat upon. I have figuratively microwaved a cookbook. Have you? <laughs> no, but you had in the 50s, you had the I hate to cookbook. Then you had the microwave cookbook, which was how do you cook things in a microwave, which was shunned by the elite of the cooking gourmands because that was short-circuiting, short-cutting it. What do you think the number one item cooked in a microwave is? Do you think it's popcorn? I think it's reheated coffee or tea. You know, it, it, this is not a surprising topic because, of course, the military, A, they have a huge budget, and B, they have to come up with stuff all the time. So. There's one they came up with that we've talked about its cousin in, in other episodes, its cousin being WD-40, but I'm talking about duct tape, which was invented in the military. And you might say, duck, isn't it ducked, Kurt? I was thinking that, but I wasn't going to say it because moments ago you said microwavable cookbook. So I'm just going to let you go with it. <laughs> so cookbooks for the microwave is what I meant. Anyway. I see your point. Duct tape was actually originally duck, believe it or not, for really? all those people who go around saying, well, Johnny, it's duct instead of duck, of which I'm one of those people. It actually was duct tape because one of its key benefits when it was first invented in the military, John, was it was waterproof. Ah, that makes sense. It was originally done for ammunition cases wrapped in it so when it, they would not only be closed but they would be waterproofed closed and then what happened was like a lot of these military inventions after world war ii when it was invented there was a housing boom in america so they were building tons of houses and they had all these ducts that were going in d-u-c-t and people found this tape that used to be green camouflage but was now silver aluminum ductwork was perfect to help hold the ducts so that it became duct tape. I thought the reason it was originally called duct tape was that game Duck, Duck, Goose. Well, did you just see that there was a woman who had a meltdown on an airplane the other day? There was a yes, picture of her? Yes, I did. Yes, I did. And, and there was another clever use of duct tape. She was duct taped to her seat, was she not? She indeed was. I think duct tape and those little those little ties that sometimes hold a bunch of wires together and also sometimes serve as handcuffs. We could do a whole episode on things that are used for makeshift handcuffs. Zip ties. I'm tempted to talk about silly putty, Kurt, because I mentioned Play-Doh earlier. And I think of silly putty as in the same extended family as Play-Doh. And believe it or not, I the two an awful lot. 
I think the fact that silly putty bounces is really important in the silly putty value proposition. And I think probably more Play-Doh has been ingested by kids worldwide than silly putty has. Yes, I think people are more likely to eat Play-Doh. Do you have a favorite color flavor of Play-Doh, Kurt? I like the smell. All of a sudden, my olfactory sense... Oh, that is a good smell. That is a very good smell, Kurt. All right. So let me tell you a little bit about Silly Putty and why it's not so silly that it has its origins in the military. So back Stupid in World- name for a military thing, though, isn't it? I believe Silly Putty was the name it was adopted when it failed its military <laughs> use case and ultimately... Was that makes sense. Okay. So during World War II, the Japanese invaded a bunch of the rubber-producing countries in Southeast Asia, places like Malaysia, and effectively cut off the U.S. military's supply of rubber, which was a big problem because the military uses a lot of rubber to make the things that it makes. So we need rubber. So the U.S. military asked a bunch of military contractors, hey, can you come up with a synthetic rubber? And the companies went to work. So there's this engineer working at General Electric, and he figures out that if he mixes boric acid and silicone oil, he was able to make this gooey substance that would bounce if he tossed it on the floor. They sent the sample. Why do they need something that bounced? I don't get it. Well, I think at this point, they basically sent it out to see if there were any useful military uses for this substance. And there were not. Although, a long time after that, during Apollo 8, believe it or not, the astronauts actually used silly putty to stick some of their instruments into place. But I digress. So, you know, we used silly putty when I rented a flat in London in 1985. And we made few holes in the wall and in the mantle by playing darts. And then when we wanted to get our security deposit back, we had big holes in the walls. So we used silly putty to fill them in some of them, which worked perfectly. And we also used toothpaste. I was just going to say toothpaste is really the go-to for that, like in college dorms. Speaking of toothpaste, I have noticed recently that the hand towel next to my sink in my bathroom has several spots of discoloration on it. And I've noticed this before. I'm trying to think, is there something about my soap? Is there something about... What is it I'm doing? And it occurred to me this morning after way too long, I should have thought of this earlier, that it's probably because toothpaste, many toothpaste now have all this whitening stuff in them. So I think there's a bleach or bleach surrogate that when I wipe my mouth after brushing my teeth, I'm staining my towels. So everyone out there, be very careful when you use your hand towel in your bathroom and you use a whitening toothpaste. I am whitening my towels more than I'm whitening my teeth, unfortunately. It's better than when they used to brush their teeth with urine. So there you go. Urine's worse because it discolored the towel even more? No, because you got urine in your mouth. Ah, that makes a lot of sense. Let me get back to silly putty since you said a silly thing. And that was a good transition from a silly comment back to silly putty. So anyway, they have this substance. The military doesn't find any use for it, at least back in the 40s and You know, some marketing consultant and toy store owner got this idea that they could sell it as a kid's toy. Back in 1950, the New Yorker writes a story about Silly Putty, and Silly Putty gets 250,000 orders in three days. What was the story? 
and wrote a story about Silly Putty. Was it like Charlotte's Web, but instead of a spider web, it was with Silly Putty? I mean, what was it about? Another invention from the military that actually has had widespread impact on life, certainly in America, is the cargo pants. This <laughs> was invented by the British for World War II, and the Americans brought it up. Why did it have widespread impact? Because I think it was probably the single biggest hindrance to mating to having offspring that would play with silly putty later on in American history. Women do not want to create progeny with people who wear cargo pants or cargo shorts. Well, I think they'd have to take them off if you wanted to have the best creating project. So you think the cargo pant is a major turnoff? It's fertility Darwinism at its worst. You wear cargo pants, you ain't getting any. Do you think that anyone ever on Tinder wearing cargo shorts, whoever swiped in the, yes, I want a piece of that direction, whichever one that is? No. And because, and it's actually a huge bait and switch because their picture probably came from the chest up. And then if they showed up at the bar in cargo pants, bait and switch, the woman's out of there. You know what's odd about cargo shorts being invented by the British? We know based on the condition of, their teeth, that they were not using those big pockets to carry an extra toothbrush and toothpaste for their retainers. Also a turnoff, which is why Britain is not a hugely populated country. <laughs> this is why. Okay. They have a lot of problems. So, I think that probably is a big offset, Kurt. However, there is, and talk about offset. So in the great offset nature of life, the military also created a product that actually made men sexier and made men want to procreate with them. So the offsetting of the cargo short is the aviator sunglass. Oh, those are cool. Those are cool. Little Bay Band aviators. Invented by Bausch and Lomb for Air Force people to cover their eyes so they wouldn't get, you know, sun in their eyes as they're flying a plane going through a very important mission. Because Ray-Bans, you know what they did, John? Ray-Bans banned the rays. So I'm thinking Ray-Bans made men so cool and Hollywood picked up on it. So you had people like Marlon Brando, probably in On the Waterfront. You had Steve McQueen wearing them. You had Tom Cruise in Top Gun wearing them. If you take fighter pilots wearing them, throw on Hollywood superstars wearing them, you got yourself a strength-on-strength situation there. So. This whole thing begs a very simple question. There is a guy walking down the street and he's wearing cargo pants and Ray-Bans. Net positive, neutral, or negative, Kurt? Great question. I'm thinking, sadly for that guy, the cargo pants are bigger negative than the Ray-Bans aviators are a positive. So basically, the cargo pant is a more more powerful force in the reproduction rubric than the Uh Ray-Band aviator glasses. How about, by the way, the guys that had cargo shorts that sometimes had like an elastic thing around the short that you could pull in and make it tighter around your legs? Well, you wouldn't want to get mosquitoes up there or whatever they're protecting. Hey, speaking of mosquitoes, 
That is another military invention, which is not to say the military invented mosquitoes. However, okay. so World War II, we're fighting in the heat of South Pacific. In not, the, the, not the Broadway musical. South Pacific? Kurt is now slapping his face, which I think means he's trying to kill a mosquito. Exactly. So anyway, the soldiers were at risk of catching malaria, yellow fever, West Nile, and other horrible things that are born by mosquitoes. So a couple of researchers <laughs> went to work with the Department of Defense and the Department of Agriculture, and they actually developed an insecticide, which was great. But the invention was they figured out how to, this is a difficult word to say, let me try, how to aerosolize the insecticide so it could be sprayed in a fine mist. And they patented the aerosol can back in the early 1940s. So what the military brought us was a way to aerosolize mosquito repellent, and they invented the aerosol can. Didn't the military also have the first cell phone, right? Because they had phones that were talking back and forth. They invented all that cool stuff. I will tell you, as we're going with this topic, and we need to wrap up soon, but... We will wrap up, but I have one more that is my favorite, and we will not end this episode until I get a chance to share it with our listeners. Okay. All I was going to say, and this will be very quick, is the EpiPen was invented in by the military because the military was worried about what if our infantrymen are someplace and they get nailed by nerve gas or some other thing that would cause an immediate reaction inside them, allergic reaction that would render them immobile. So they invented a device that the people could stealthily self-inoculate. So before I get to my final share here, on the topic of medical emergencies, the military was also the reason we have ambulances, as well as blood transfusions. And it kind of makes sense because there's a lot of medical emergencies and bleeding going on in war. So those... Who was the most famous wartime ambulance driver? Clara Barton. Ooh, nice one. But there was no uh, ambulances back then. And, and well, I thought maybe she was having like a horse and buggy one. Ernest Hemingway, World War I. Really? Yep. And he's not famous for his ambulance driving. He's famous for writing. But it actually comes in a lot of his writing. And that's really when you get a fellow at arms and the sun also rises and a bunch of things like that. I don't imagine the old man in the sea involves a lot of, and maybe he has a marine ambulance in there. All right, Kurt, I'm going to break the rule we set up, which was to talk about lesser known military inventions. But while I'm going to talk about a well-known military invention, I'm going to share an aspect of it that I did not know that I find pretty darn interesting, and perhaps you will too, Kurt. The Jeep, of course, comes from the military. And that is because during World War II, the Army was looking for a vehicle that it could use on reconnaissance, and it needs to be lightweight and had four-wheel drive and could go about 65 miles an hour. So that was the spec they put out, and they called this thing general purpose. And then they called it GP for short. And GP Ah! ultimately evolved into the nickname Jeep. GP, Jeep. And that's how we got the name Jeep. So while I knew the Jeep came from the military, I had no idea that the name Jeep came about that way. 
And it was such a part of World War II that none other than General Dwight D. Eisenhower at the time said America could not have won World War II without the Jeep. How about that? I love it. I love that. Jeep, G-P to J-E-E-P. You know, I, however, you know, I have opinions. I'm thinking Jeep of today is kind of like the cargo short of 20 years ago. It's that is stopping right. you from, from having offspring because it's become the go-to. I'm a dad, cool dad in suburbia, so I'm going to get a Jeep. Listen. My wife is on her second, soon to be third Jeep Wrangler. She loves it. You know, using the same naming convention they used for Jeep, general purpose GP Jeep, we could take Kurt Schneider, KS, kiss. So we're going to kiss off this episode. Well we're going to finish up. Well, all I'm going to tell you is that there's other ones too we didn't talk about. Super glue, frozen orange juice concentrate. The internet, virtual reality, all these things. And here's something I want everyone to go look up. The slinky invented in the military. Love it. And then it down your stairs today. It could be a Russian slinky. That was uh, learning about slinky was a bit of a kick in the cargo shorts on that one. And did you know that canned food actually dates back to Napoleon and the Napoleonic Wars when he lost a big battle because all of his soldiers were off in the village foraging for food. And he put a prize out there of $150,000 for someone who could figure out a cheap way to preserve large amounts of food. It started awesome. in glass, then it went to tin cans. And But Napoleon is actually the, and the Napoleonic Wars are responsible for canned food. We have Napoleon to thank for spam. And then you can put it in the microwave, those canned foods, and you can combine these inventions in all sorts of fun ways. Do not put silly putty in the microwave. And don't put a can in the microwave, John. <laughs> uh, but you could put canned food and do not put a cookbook in the microwave, Kurt. Kurt and I will be back next week with another brand new episode of Smart Dribble. Until then, we hope your week is filled with Smart Dribble. Goodbye, everybody. Bye, guys. Bye.